Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, prescribing hope for healthy families here on American Family Radio. Here's your host, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four, Dr. Jessica Peck. Friends, and welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are here. We have some exciting content to cover today. We have something that is really going to lift your spirit. I have a great guest on today. My guest is Becky Beresford. Now she lives in North Carolina. She is happily outnumbered by her husband and their three wonderful boys. And Becky, I can relate to that. I live with two boys and my husband right now, and I am outnumbered. They gave me two votes, by the way, when my girls went to college, but I said, that's not fair. I'm still outnumbered. I'm going to need some veto power here. That's what I'm going to need. But Becky is is an author, a speaker, and a coach with a master's certificate in spiritual formation and discipleship from Moody Theological Seminary. Now, Becky loves encouraging God's daughters to embrace Christ-centered empowerment through the truth found in the gospel. And she is the author of a book that is about to be released called, now you need to listen closely so you get this, because it's not what you think. It is, she believed he could... So she did trading cultures lies for Christ centered empowerment. Becky, welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama show. We're thrilled to have you. I'm I'm so glad to be here. It's such a joy to be talking to you. (laughs) It is. And Becky and I have known each other for a long time now as authors kind of working in the same Mm -hmm. space. And (laughs) we've had some collaborations before, but we have never been on the radio before. So this is really exciting. Now, if you're listening, you might be thinking, okay, we're going to talk about girl stuff. Well, you need to listen if you're a dad or you're a grandfather, because these are real issues that the women in your life are facing today. And we are going to have a really honest conversation about this. So Becky, I want you to tell us about the moment that led to this book. And I'm going to give our listeners a little spoiler. It came from a sign that your husband bought for you at Hobby Lobby that led to an epiphany. And in fact, an apology to your readers. Now, if that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what it is. Take us to that moment. What happened that gave you this significant shift in perspective? Yeah, so it was a culmination in my life of so many events, so many hardships. So at that time, just personally, my husband and I were going through a hard like space in our marriage. Um, I have three boys, like you said, but our oldest is autistic, so I'm a special needs mama, too, and there's just, it's its its own journey. It's a beautiful journey, um, but you're constantly learning. You're trying to help uh, manage that dynamic um, and help them all thrive, And but it's hard, you know, um, and then we had health issues going on, financial strain, so that's just the background personally what's going on. There's a lot of hardship, a lot of stuff. And then at the same time, the Lord called me to be a writer after I had been doing discipleship with women for years, and I became a special needs mama. Um, He opened my eyes to how writing can be a form of discipleship, so he's like, I want you to write a book. (laughs) Um, And so in the midst of all this, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you here. I'm going to, you know, try to 
believe in myself, try to do what you're calling me to do. I know you're with me. You're with me in this. Um, and so I start writing a book, as you know, <laughs> it's a hard process. It is. And then the, re- the rejections just kept coming in for three years. I tried to get this book that I felt the Lord wanted me to write out there and have publishers accept it. And it was just rejected or no's or not yet. And so I, I just was so discouraged. And my husband, being the kind man that he is, he went and he got me this sign that said she believed she could, so she did. And so he got it as a well-intentioned, like, you can do this, you know, kind of mentality. And if we think about the world, that's kind of what the world is saying to women, which is, hey, believe in yourself, look within to find this power that to achieve, to get things done, like just grit it out and you can do it. And so um, he also was, you know, believing in, in what God could do too, but the sign in itself was saying she believed she could, so she did. And so I would take that sign and I put it on my writing desk. And as all these things were happening, I'm like, okay, God, I believe I can help fix our marriage. I believe I can help raise our boys and get through today with this autistic meltdown. I believe I can do this. I can do that. But I felt like a failure. Like I kept trying to believe in myself, but I kept feeling more and more like a failure. And the enemy just would come in and he would shame me and shame me and be like, yeah, you're not a good mom. You're not a good wife. Look at you. And you want to write a book. This is why they're saying no. Like it was just a downward spiral. And so one day when I was staring at that sign, I was just looking at it and the Holy Spirit convicted me that I've been just looking at myself, trying to empower myself and saying there's a tension though. Like, I believe in you, God. I trust you, God. You're going to do it. But I was still doing it. (laughs) Um, And so as I was looking at that sign, I said, it's wrong. And I went and I got a permanent marker (laughs) and it was a black background and white white lettering. And so I went and I crossed out the S in the she. So it said she believed he could. So she did. And I'm like, that is the gospel. We believe in Christ and what he does. And so we do what he tells us to do. And it was this mindset shift of, oh my gosh, I want to live in a Christ-centered, empowered way, not a Becky-centered, empowered (laughs) way. Um, And it was freeing, honestly, because I put so much pressure on myself to be the savior of my own story. And that's not my job. That's God's job. And so I was taking it, even though I was saying, I trust you, God. I believe in you. But I wasn't. Like, I was living like I was self-empowered. I was looking to myself being self-dependent, not God-dependent. And so once that happened, I shared this sign as a post on socials with people and the response that I got was like big, (laughs) like bigger than I thought. And I'm like, is this more than a post? And then that's when God was like, yeah, this is a book. (laughs) And I want you to take the book, your favorite chapter from that other book that you had been pitching for three years, expand it into a full book. And that's where this book came from. Um, But it was funny. It didn't end there because then I had been saying within the book, I I address common phrases that women hear, like, you are enough, or you can do hard things, believe in yourself, you be you, speak your truth, you know, 
These mm-hmm. are things that women hear all the time in culture, but those, these phrases have infiltrated the Christian culture too, the Christian search, uh, circles. They're in our churches because um, uh, I've heard it and I had preached it <laughs> to my readers. I had said a lot of these things. And so that's where God said, okay, thank you for being obedient and doing that. Now I want you to say you're sorry. and that was hard it was like oh really are you sure like maybe i can just like message a couple people on messenger he's like no you're you're sending it to your whole list and you're going to tell everyone about this and so it was a very humbling moment (laughs) i had to swallow my pride and be like okay i'm going to write an apology letter to my readers and this was before the book was like written um i also was just kind of seeing like is this going to resonate and it resonated so deeply with um, women that I'm like, this is a thing. God is, God is doing something here. Um, and so the apology turned into the contents of the book as well. So that is how the book has come into being so far. And who knows what he has in store. Well, Becky, bravo to you for being so transparent and authentic and humble. I mean, really, that takes a lot of humility to to say the things that you have said. And I think there were some important lessons in just that short story that you shared with us. And it's interesting because we've talked to many authors on this show and you know, thinking of myself included. Listeners, mm-hmm. listen, we're not writing a book because, oh, all of a sudden we got it all together and we're going to impart our wisdom to you. (laughs) It's, Hey, here's how I fell on my face. And I still found hope. And I still found that God is good and God is faithful. And I found hope in the hard things. So I just want to put that out there, that that is what it's like to be an author. It's not, Oh, let me share my grand wisdom. It's, Ooh, let me share the hard places where God is working. But I think that some of the things that you're talking about are really, we do see these in culture. I mean, we see, these, uh, I was thinking of the term, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And we think about Mm. this proliferation of self-help books and everybody Mm -hmm. clamoring for those. And Becky, I know you feel the same way. I do not need any help from myself. Like myself (laughs) got myself into plenty of trouble and I don't need that. And I love what you said about how you were trying to be the savior of your own story when we already have access to such a more powerful, more beautiful, mm-hmm. more loving, compassionate, and wise savior than we could ever be for ourselves. And and the last thing that I wanted to say about what you said, Becky, is that I think an important lesson for us to learn from your story is that God, a lot of times, will call us to do something. But just because he calls you to it doesn't mean he guarantees an outcome. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. that he called you to write that first book, but not to publish Mm -hmm. it like you thought, but to teach you and to prepare your heart for the message that was to come. And so I just think that is something that resonates so deeply with me. Well, let's talk about being a woman, because that's really what you're, Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And in this book, you give us some biblical insight into Eve. Of course, she was the first woman created. And you quote uh-huh. Stacy Eldridge in your book, and I want to read this quote because I, I thought it was, I had never read it before. It was really thought-provoking to me. She said, Eve is the greatest human threat, for she brings life. She is a lifesaver and a life giver. Eve means life or life producer. Put those two things together, that Eve incarnates the beauty of God and gives life to the world, and Satan's bitter heart cannot bear it. 
he assaults her with a special hatred. And then Becky, you go on to say that women were too much of a threat for the Prince of Darkness. Clearly Eve had to go. And what's the first thing Satan tried to do? He made her forget who she really was. And after placing a seed of doubt regarding God's kind character, the crafty serpent went in for the literal kill. He tells Eve she is lacking. She is not enough. So she must do something to make herself more. He wants Eve to believe that God is withholding because then she would decide to reach for something extra in order to attain what she already had. Satan wants Eve to take matters into her own hands and independently make herself like God, not just his beautiful image bearer. And that's the same lethal lie our current culture has adopted. It's the same hidden poison attacking the father's hurting daughters today. Whoa. I mean, that is, those are some pretty powerful words there. Can you unpack that for our listeners? Yeah. You know, that, um, that is from the chapter talking about how, we say I am enough, and in reality, we are—we're not enough on our own. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a Savior, and that means also it's freeing because we don't have to be enough for our loved ones, our family. That's God's job as well. And what's beautiful is when we say I'm not enough on my own, but I am more than enough in Christ. Then that—that that is true empowerment. And so with Eve. At the beginning, she was walking with God. She was with God. She was complete with God. And so the, the enemy came in and he said, don't you know, you, will, you are lacking. He actually made her feel like she was not enough. And she bought that lie that she wasn't enough, even though she was. She was enough in God at that moment. But because she bought the lie that God was, being unkind and that he was not being faithful, he was not giving her everything that she needed, then he was able to trick her into reaching for something more, aka the fruit, (laughs) to try to be like God. And it became this self-fulfilling prophecy that was so cruel um, because he knew she was enough. (laughs) And we're still seeing that today, right? Well, hold that thought, Becky. Hold that thought because we are going to explore that more when we come back. We're also going to talk about how Becky tackles some of the most commonly misused interpretations of Scripture and how they impact us. And we, again, just have so much more to talk about. So don't go away. We'll be right back with She Believed He Could, So She Did. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband had decided they never wanted kids. And when she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful and Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous and every day preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. 
Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. You're listening to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show with Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Welcome back, friends. I am talking to Becky Beresford. She is an author, a speaker, and a coach. And she has a new book coming out called She Believed He Could. So she did, Trading Cultures Lies for Christ-Centered Empowerment. And we've been talking about Becky's story and being called to write this book and the pathway that she went through that was difficult, where she was learning this truth that she was not enough on her own, but she is enough through Christ. And we were talking before the break about the special hatred, honestly, that Satan can have for women in our culture because we reflect the beauty of God. And it is hard because I think we are facing issues as women that we have to have it all. We have to do it all. We have to be empowered. And and you talk about this actually in wearing weariness as a badge of honor. So Becky, you share that you asked a group of women in your life and preparing for this book, what are some phrases that you've heard that make you feel empowered? And you've already shared some of those. And one of the top answers that you got was you can do hard things. And then you asked, but what happens when we peek below the surface of our own efforts? We find weary women. Now, I know I've been sharing some quotes from this book, but I want our listeners to get a flavor for kind of how you're talking. So I'm going to share one more quote. You said, we grow weary from pushing and pulling and prying to make things happen. We feel tired after using every ounce of energy we have to serve those we love. We're exhausted in the depths of our aching bones because we've taken on too much and now we're worn thin. Many many women come to accept the normalcy of being weary because what we are striving to do is often simultaneously hard and good. Being weary Uh then becomes worth it. We were made to do good for the glory of God's kingdom, but should it be at the expense of barely surviving or feeling like we can't breathe? Becky, that resonated with me. How are we wearing weariness as a badge of honor, especially as moms, as daughters, as women, and doing hard Mm. things in a much harder way than we need to do? Yeah. You know, Sometimes weariness is very worth it to us because we actually are defining our worth on what we're doing or how we're helping people or, um, you know, how much we can perform. And and so the good, it, it could be good, for example, like I, I am a helper. I love helping people. I love like if someone's like, I need help here or can you fix this or I'm hurting here, my heart breaks and I, I want to do what I can to step in and take care of that person. But the thing is, is it my job to do that? And is it my job to do that all the time? Yes, we're called to love one another and carry one another's burdens, but ultimately we carry those burdens to the cross, right? We're not supposed to take them on ourselves. And when we start to take everyone's burdens on emotionally, physically, we become weary. Um, But there's another aspect here, and that is, am I the one who's supposed to do this good thing to help this person? 
or to do this good work. I have found that I self-appoint myself to be the fixer, to help, when really I don't, I'm not stepping back and asking God, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to help this person in this way? Because if I'm feeling like I'm the Savior again, and I have to fix all the things, that's not giving them the opportunity to experience God and His strength and His capacity. If I think I can do it, and I can't, (laughs) then we start feeling that that weariness. Like, we we realize, yeah, I'm imperfect, like every other human out there. I can't carry all this. I can't do all these things. Um, And so we have to step back and kind of ask just in the first place, am I supposed to be doing these things? Has the Holy Spirit told me that I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z? Um, And so that, I think, will help us not be so weary because we we will be doing the things that God himself is calling us to do, and he's going to empower us to do it so we're not even doing it in our our own strengths. Um, so I think that's a huge, a huge key to how how we sh- we don't have to wear our weariness like a badge. We can do what God's called us to do and be okay with saying no. <laughs> be okay with setting that boundary um, and knowing that it's not dependent on us. I um, I have a story that I don't even think it's in the book, but. I was in grad school, seminary school at um, Moody, actually, and I remember I walked into the class and I saw um, my my professor up front, and he was, I could just tell something was going on. He looked very heavy, like heavy spirit, very sad. Um, and I sat there and I looked at him before the class was about to start, and I felt God tell me, you need to raise your hand, you need to pray for him, ask the class if you can lead in praying them praying for him. And I got embarrassed. I, the people pleaser in me was like, well, what if I mess up? What if people think I'm weird? And I said, no, (laughs) I was like, no, God, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm sorry. You know, I'll pray for him right now in my seat silently. And so I remained silent and I kid you not, 15 seconds later, the person next to me, the student next to me raised his hand and said, Doc, can we pray for you right now? And it was such a, another humbling moment because I'm like, even if, even if I say no to the Holy Spirit, God is going to do what he wants to do. I cannot stop his plan. I'm not that powerful. <laughs> um, and so it was like, God just showed me, like, I will ask you to do something. And he, he wants us to do those things because he wants to bless us. And it's really satisfying to know that God is using you in the mm-hmm. way that he's asking to use you, <laughs> not the way that I'm self-appointing. But even if, even if God is going to help, and he is the ultimate helper, and he's the one who chooses who he wants to send to help others and to do hard things. Um, I know that's just one part of doing hard mm-hmm. things. But um, for me, as, as a helper, that was such a humbling, a humbling moment uh, and a freeing moment because it's not dependent on me. Again, it's dependent right. on God. Well, you know, Becky, it's interesting because when we think about American society and when we go to a PTA meeting or even we're meeting people at church or anytime you're meeting people new, 
There is one universal question that we all know socially you're supposed to ask, and that is, Um. what do you do? And that is how we start to base our worth. And for women, Mm -hmm. I hear it's so interesting because if there's a woman who works, like I work, you say, okay, well, I I work and I do this. And then it's almost like you feel like you have to follow up that with the disclaimer saying, yes, but I also love my family. And, you know, I make Mm -hmm. sure I have enough time for my kids. (laughs) Like you have to give this disclaimer. And then I've been a stay at home mom before. And if you say I'm a stay at home mom, Then you kind of, you know, sometimes I see moms so many times kind of shuffle and get embarrassed and say, oh, but I'm the president of the PTA and I also do this and I do this and we say what we have to do. So this is just my own little soapbox, Becky, that I'm going to step on. Hopefully you'll be okay with that. But I really challenge people instead of saying, what do you do? Say something like, tell me how you like to spend your time. That's such Mm. a better way to say that. Like say, I love to spend my time with my family. I love to spend my time, you know, on mission. I love to spend my time surfing or whatever it may be. But it's not this like, you know, value, this implicit cultural value that we put on. I'm making a decision in this moment, whether or not I think that you are a worthwhile person, like I'm making that decision based on how you answer that question. And then we wonder why we're so weary and why we keep taking Uh on things because we know that's the bar where we're going to be measured. So, okay, I could preach about that for a long time, you know, (laughs) on the only way that I can just in my little, uh, you know, sphere right here. But those, that's such a good word. Well, I want to move on Becky and talk about the way that you tackle some of the most commonly misused interpretations of scripture. I mentioned before, you know, God helps those who help himself. Spoiler alert, that's not a scripture. That's not in the Bible. But there are some things in the Bible, and there's two of them in particular that I think you unpack in a really good way that I want to go through. And one of those is from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God will never give you more than you can handle. And that that is a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, cut out for a second. Is this God will First, never give you more than you can handle, right? That's right. Yep, that's right. Okay. Yes. So that is one that I used to take so much comfort in when I was younger, because I would think, okay, so God loves me, and he knows how much I can handle, so he's not going to give me too much hard hard things in life. I'm going to have a, an okay life, because other people might be able to handle harder things than me, but I but I can't. And so as I started to grow up, and I realized that that's actually not true, um, God does give us hard things in order to rely on Him. Because if we could handle all the hard things, again, why do we need a Savior? Why would I need God if I've got this, <laughs> when right. really God's got this? Um and so that, but I know it's meant to be a comforting thing, and I used to, to believe that. And so I actually looked it up um, in the Bible, which is where we should, when we hear <laughs> these things, we, even if your, like, favorite Christian celebrity or pastor is saying this, it's not the gospel truth unless it's in the gospel. <laughs> so we have to go back to the Word of God. And so that's what I did. I went and I, I checked it out, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it is not in here. Um, and what it what it is kind of um, mistranslated that that phrase comes from a verse that talks about being a temptation. God will never let you be tempted 
beyond what you can handle. He will send the Holy Spirit to help you. And temptation is different than hardship. They are not the same thing. But people have taken that and been like, oh, see, God, God's going to help me get out of this. He's not going to give me more than, than I can hold. But the truth is he's going to give us more than we can hold so that we can take those things we're holding and hand them back to him and say, God, I can't do this, but you can. And interestingly, if you keep reading Paul's uh, letter, he says later on that he was pushed, or what was it? He was pushed to the, to the point where he couldn't endure anymore. I would say that's more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says that it helped. It literally says this in there, that it made them rely on God. And even if they died, they believed in a God who could raise people from the dead. So, I mean, what faith, <laughs> what, what reliance and belief in God and what he can do, not what we can do. Um, and so that's one of them that is, again, it's, if, it, if we look at it through the lens of the gospel, it's a beautiful truth. It's a freeing truth. It, it gives us relief um, instead of more pressure, which is what society and culture is trying to just lay on us all the time. Well, and speaking of Paul, you know, who was shipwrecked, snake bitten, like, you know, imprisoned, all of these things, like you said, very much more than he could handle. And he, in fact, prayed fervently for God to take away the thorn in his side. And I know there's a lot of debate about what that thorn would be, but God did not. And so he Uh clearly gave Paul, you know, more than he could handle so that Paul could realize that he had to rely on God and that God was enough. And Paul wrote another very commonly misused verse, which is Philippians 4.13. You probably, most of you listening can go ahead and quote that right now. It might be on a a Hobby Lobby, you know, thing (laughs) on your wall right now. Right, like it is online. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So tell us how we misinterpret this verse in thinking that we can become enough. Yeah, you know that verse is referring to contentment um, and what we do have, what we don't have, and a lot of times people take that verse and say, "Okay, well, I want to do this or I want to do that." And so, therefore, God, you're going to help me, you're going to give me, you're going to strengthen me, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then we have to take it back and think, did God ask you to do that thing? (laughs) Again, like, is this lined up with God's Word? Um, Just because I want to run a marathon, that doesn't mean that God is calling me to run a marathon. Like, my sister did that, and it's hard. Like, you have to be called to run that. (laughs) I have not been Um, called. I just feel like I need to put that out there. I have not yet. Please, Lord, no. Please. (laughs) No, I have not been called either. Praise God. Um, But, like, yeah, so not everything that we put our minds to is what God wants us to do. So that can be just really uh, misconstrued, and people can think that, well, I can do anything. I I can do anything because God is going to help me do whatever I want to do. And again, there's a lot of focus on the self and not on the Savior. So we just have to shift our mindset once again to, okay, what does Jesus want me to do right now? Um, and, and you he talk in the book. 
Yeah, you yeah. talk in the book about how the, before that, Paul was saying he had learned to be content in whatever yeah. circumstance. And so because of that, he could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, it's interesting because yeah. Becky, one of the verses that I talk about a lot that I think is misinterpreted is also from Philippians 4. Poor Philippians 4. It's just getting this misinterpretation. <laughs> but Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious for anything. And how often do we hear people saying, hey, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, period. Like, just don't be anxious. Mm -hmm. But there's actually a comma there. And it says, but yep. in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so it gives us an action to do instead of being anxious to put our attitude, our effort, our attention into praying with thanksgiving. And then the peace okay. of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I know this, I say this all the time, that gratitude does literally protect our hearts, even lowering our blood pressure. Yeah. Well, we have a lot mm -hmm. more to talk about. We are going to talk about the time that Becky lost her dog and what God did to teach her through that. You're not going to want to miss this touching story. And we'll talk about it when we come back. Podcasts of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show are available on the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome back to my conversation with Becky Beresford. She is an author, a speaker, a coach, and she's the author of a new book coming out called She Believed He Could, So She Did. Trading Cultures Lies for Christ-Centered Empowerment. And we have talked about the challenges that women are facing today and wearing weariness as a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about the misinterpretation of scripture. And before we leave this topic, Becky, I do want to say that it did make me laugh. You know, I was able to read a copy, an advanced copy of your book. And I learned mm -hmm. something about you and I that we share in common. We have the same lack of green thumb. It's so sad. Um, my mother-in-law actually yeah. calls this my black thumb of death. Okay. I kill every plant that I try to grow. And I'll tell you a true story. My mother-in-law, when my first child was born, she gave me this little tree that was in this gorgeous little silver pot and it was engraved. And, and the thought is that the tree, you plant the tree and it, you know, grows as old as your kid. Um, that tree was dead in two weeks and thankfully I'm better at growing <laughs> babies than I am growing trees. But as we were talking about yeah. facing hardship and the misinterpretation of scripture and that I did want to share really quickly that you shared a very thought provoking perspective on an experiment with trees where scientists created the perfect environment for growth, except for one thing. And what was mm -hmm. that one thing, Becky? So they had the perfect soil, they had the perfect amount of water, and the trees were starting to grow tall. However, they started to fall over when they got too tall, um, and they just would topple, and they realized that they did not have any wind in this bubble. It was within a bubble. I think it was in a desert, too. So the, there was no wind. There was no resistance. To come up against the trees and so because that resistance wasn't there the roots did not grow deep they were shallow roots 
and they didn't go wide like trees are supposed to do. And so when we apply that to our spiritual walk with God, a lot of times we're like, God, why are you allowing this bad thing to happen? Um, or why, why is this happening? I'm praying that this is, that this would go away, but it's not. Um, and God allows these things to happen in order to have the resistance, the winds, the storms come against us so that our roots will be growing down strong into him and into who we are in Jesus. Um, And so it produces perseverance. That's what the word says. It produces character. Um, It produces ultimately hope. And it's Mm -hmm. hope not in ourselves, but hope in God and what he can do through these hard times, through this resistance that we are experiencing in our, our journeys with Jesus. Um, so it was really eye-opening to me. Like, we need, we need some, some resistance, some hardship. Otherwise, it's a shallow faith. It's a shallow, shallow roots. Um, and so that kind of helped me to be more open in my heart to whatever happens in life, because God is going to use it for good. He isn't up there, like, making all these things happening, and he's not, like, hoping we'll be miserable, but he's saying, I will have a purpose through this. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you. I'm beside you. I'm going to empower you and strengthen you and love you through this, and your roots are going to grow strong. I love that. And there's so many women that we've talked to and men too, who will go through really hard times and they'll look back in it and say, but God, you know, but for the Uh grace of God. And even though those things were so hard, there are so many times we hear testimonies saying, I wouldn't change it though, because of what Mm -hmm. I've learned, because of how I've grown. And a biblical story that you share about that is one that's very well known and very broadly interpreted. We've had all kinds of perspectives on this, but you gave a different perspective on the story of Mary and Martha. Now, of course, Martha oh. is the the busybody, the one that would be me, by the way, the one who's like running around <laughs> making sure that, you know, that all of the snack bowls are full and the punch bowl is filled up and all of those kinds of things. <laughs> but Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. We know this. Mm-hmm. But you bring up some really good points about the fact that she was a woman and that she mm-hmm. occupi- occupied a place at Jesus' feet that was typically reserved for male disciples. So what did you learn in studying that story of Mary and Martha? Yeah, so there's so many times where I kind of want to be more like Martha, because I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm both. Um, but Mary, what, what Jesus said to Mary as she's sitting at his feet was that what she has found will not be taken from her. And what she has found and when Jesus allows her to sit at his feet is that he is elevating her to the original um, game plan, how it was in Eden, where Adam and Eve are equals. They are together. They are side by side. She literally, Eve, is taken out of the side of of Adam to stand beside him, not behind him, not below him, not in front of him. She is to be his partner. They are equal in worth, equal in value, equal in in importance in the kingdom. And so the fact that Mary is sitting there, Jesus is, is saying, 
yes, you are worthy to sit here with these men, these male disciples, but also you are worthy just because of who you are. And that is not going to be taken away from you. And I think that was something like Martha, of course, her, her eyes were on serving. She, and that's a beautiful heart, right? I think we um, kind of go after Martha too much. <laughs> yes. She a beautiful heart. She, she was trying to, to serve and do and do and do. And Jesus is saying, just be with me. Just be with me. Sit at my feet. Let me pour into you. And from that, again, he empowers us to do what he's calling us to do. But the most important thing that we can do is sit at the feet of the master and let him love us and let him define our worth, not the doing, but let him define us. And it doesn't matter what others say, what the, you know, the other disciples in that room were saying, it only matters what Jesus is saying about us. And I just love like how God, the, the Trinity, they are like the ultimate empowerers, empowerers, I don't know if I'm saying that right, <laughs> of women. Like, they elevate women so, so well. Um, and so when other people may be women, we, we do experience discrimination. We do experience hardship here. But when we think about Mary and Jesus, and he's saying, no one can take this away from you. You know, no one can take away how I see you and what I'm allowing you to do. You are my disciple. And part of that journey. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and part of that journey with you, I want to make sure that we get to this story because you talk a lot about that in the book. And there is so much really great, thought-provoking material that you put in front of us. But as you have had your own personal journey following the Lord in this, you shared a really touching story about losing your dog. Now, I mm. I have to admit, Becky, I'm not the greatest dog person because I had some <laughs> traumatic experiences when I was young, and oh. this makes it like really hard. But even I was like, this is so sad. They have to find Callie. Like, and mm. God used your dog to teach you some important truths. So tell us about that experience and how it impacted you. Yeah, it was it was totally heartbreaking. Um, my husband actually says that he's never seen me more like sad than these these three days so i'll back up um it was a couple summers ago i came home from baseball practice with my son and my dog callie she's a golden retriever she's like my shadow she's always there she always greets me with a shoe or some item of clothing that's just what retrievers do um and so i came in the door and she didn't greet me and i was like where where's callie you know and so we looked around the house we couldn't find her, um, and we come to find out that the new neighbor boy that had just moved in accidentally left the door open, and Callie had run out. And um, I don't know when this happened. It, it, I mean, I had been gone for a couple hours, and so we went into immediate freak-out mode. <laughs> Basically, we all jumped in the cars. Some of us didn't have shoes on, um, and we just went around the neighborhood and we were asking, has anyone seen Callie? And basically we got a couple different um, directions, but they both were pointing towards the cornfields behind our house. And at that time we lived in Illinois. So the Midwest has, has farms everywhere and farms last for miles <laughs> and it was getting dark 
and there's also coyotes at night. And so it was like, all right, we don't have much time to find our dog. And so we went driving around. And what's so beautiful is that for a little while, we had felt pretty isolated as a special needs family in our, in our community, in our neighborhood. But God used the neighborhood to encourage us. They rallied around us. People started searching for Callie that we, we didn't even know these people. Um, I, we sent out something on our Facebook group. Everyone started going around. You see flashlights, cars driving around, trying to find Callie that night, but we couldn't find her. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, God, what is happening to my dog? Um, and I had to sit down and be like, okay, God, I'm going to be diligent. We're going to do everything that we can, but this is an only God moment. This is an only God thing. Like only you are going to bring our dog back. And so we searched the next day. We couldn't find her. We went, we, we did everything like went to all the shelters. We put up all the signs. Um, it was, I was searching. I couldn't sleep. Like, Oh, it was, it was so painful for our family. Our kids were crying and I was like, God, where's our dog? And we didn't see her that day either. Um, and so on the third day, we, uh, I got up. Actually, my son woke me up, and he was like, Mom, look at the sky. And I was like, okay. He's like, it's a rainbow. And I went out front, and I've never seen a sky like this. It was orange, an orange sky with clouds, these beautiful clouds. And there was a rainbow right where Callie had run away. And I was like, okay, God, I'm trying to believe that we can, I I can't believe in myself. We have done everything, but we are dependent on you. You are the only one who's going to bring our girl back. And I I believe in you, even though I'm heartbroken (laughs) right now, I'm still going to believe that you can work out this miracle. You can work out this miracle and bring our dog back. And so later that day, um, it started raining. And so once again, we decided to try to get in the car. We're all getting ready to go. And my mom called. Um, She said that God kind of put it on her heart to go back to the cornfield where she ran away and look one more time. And so she went over there and there was Callie sitting right on the corner of the cornfield. And she was like, oh my gosh, Callie. And Callie was in the fight or flight response thing. So she actually ran away from my mom. But Madison ran out, my husband ran out to to the cornfield and tried calling Callie back and Callie ran from him, but she ran right between the houses, right in front of our house. And I saw her and she stopped and it was like the sweetest reunion. Like Callie then came running towards us as we were calling her. And of course we all wept. Like it was only God. It was like the complete, like believing that God, as I'm right, I was writing this book, you know, um, and about to write this chapter, this believe in your God versus believe in yourself. And it was just, um, I'm like, okay, Lord, this is, this is going in there because this is an only God moment. And we have so many only God moments where we try to do everything that we can, but ultimately only the Lord can work out the miracle. Well, all the dog people are all like, you know, oh, no, I'm so glad you found the dog. And I think, you know, it was so beautiful, even how you recognize that trying to fit into your community and having a special needs child can be really isolating. And yet, Mm -hmm. you know, that that was 
that that was something that God used it. Well, Becky, we only have two minutes left, so you have to tell this really okay. fast. But I do want you to tell okay. the the last story about your son who has special needs and what his encounter with a stranger at Chick-fil-A on Halloween did. Can you do it in like a minute and a half? I'll, I will try my hardest. Okay. Okay. So we went to, we went trick-or-treating and we went to Chick-fil-A and um, David is very sweet, but he, he tells it how it is. Um, and so he was, we were looking around and there was people in front of us and uh, a guy was dressed like a, a zombie and um, we, we don't really dress like, we, we tell our kids we don't dress like scary things. Um, and so David looks at this, this man and he says, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and he turns around, he's like, this is a complete stranger. He's like, oh yeah, Jesus is one of my favorite people. And um, David's like, well, why are you dressed like somebody who's dead? And <laughs> the man just stopped. We stopped. And he was like, you're right, buddy. And five minutes later, he went into the bathroom, washed off his face and came out. <laughs> and it was really cool. We ended up talking to him. And it was so sweet to see how God used my son to develop a relationship. And then this man actually got baptized um, and came to know Jesus like a week later. So it's just beautiful to see how God uses everybody, including well, my, my sweet boy. I love it. I love life. it, Becky. Well, Becky is the mm -hmm. author of She Believed He Could, So She Did, Trading Cultures Lies for Christ-Centered Empowerment. You can find her at BeckyBeresford.com. And we'll see you here next time where we prescribe hope for healthy families. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.